1: To shoot the second. It is up and it is good. Nelson inbounds and that's it. Summit League perfection! South Dakota State is going dancing!
0: Jackrabbit men dancing for a sixth time. USD women, a fourth time. It was another epic championship Tuesday, and it feels like so long ago now. Uh, I am in Rapid City, not not Gateway Lounge, and Matt is not at Gateway Lounge either. You relaxing at home right now?
1: I am. I just got oh, back from good for you. picking up Arthur, and he is digging through my... Uh... My old He-Man toys from when I was a kid. He's <laughs> kind of uh-huh. going through a He-Man phase, so I'm showing him my old toys that he can combine with his new toys. Yeah. So, uh, yes, chilling, doing some stepdadding, and taking it easy after I- a long, busy weekend.
0: I was a big He-Man fan back in the day. I think we all were, but I was an extra big He-Man fan, but we don't need to get into that. That's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm at the uh, Hotel Alex Johnson in my hotel room, State Girls A starting tomorrow, so it's my prep day, and I drove out last night. Uh, it was a long day for me after uh, watching the Women's Championship in the arena. Drove to Chamberlain to watch a Sodak 16 game, Class B, and uh, my stepson play his final game. Lower Brule, man, they put on the full court press. It is 40 minutes of hell, and uh, they're impressive. I'm going to root for them in the Class B boys. And uh, so, watch the final game of my of our middle kids' uh, senior season. He had 21 points. He was awesome. And uh, and after that emotional moment, it was off to. Rapid City, and so I'm doing our Gateway Lounge honoring uh, by at lunch, late lunch today. As I'm as I'm pr- preparing, getting stuff ready for broadcasts, uh, a margarita and a dos equis at a uh, at a Mexican place, just a couple blocks down the street. Called k I almost sent you a text with the picture of the margarita that said K-Pasa from K-Pasa, but it's, it's a little bit beneath your level of humor, so I didn't. Um, are you honoring uh, by. Are you having a Budweiser or anything right now? I'm not. No. You're not. No. And then you told me that. Uh, I mean, we're going to get into all this Summit League stuff, but uh, I mean, last night. It used to be we used to all go out together after these games. Uh, after the, it was all over on Tuesday, and we could all exhale. But uh, I guess Stu's not with with the Argus anymore. Neither is Mick, and neither is Hank, and uh, neither is Terry. And well, Terry probably never went out anyway. But uh, yeah, what happened? <laughs> what happened to that tradition? You just went home. You just went home after all this.
1: Oh, well, I didn't get out of there until after midnight. You know? Yeah. So, and, and uh, we used to usually we'd head next door to that Wobblings. That's next to the arena, but that place is closed now, and yeah, I mean, there was, it was pretty much a ghost town, I mean, and it's not just, you know, the Argus guys, I mean, there used to be a beat writer from almost every school at the Summit League Tournament, and now there's not, because, you know, every other newspaper is going through the yeah. same stuff that, that we are here, and if there's anything about the Summit League Tournament these days that's a little bit depressing or not as fun as it used to be, that's what it is, you know, yeah. that you used to have a whole bunch of people down there to, to have fun with. Unwind. Yeah. Share. But also during the tournament too, you know, just people to watch the game with and, you know, chat with in the media areas and over lunch and all that kind of stuff. And that's a little different, but other than that, um, it did feel just like old times, you know, like having that year in between, I kind of wondered if it would be different or feel different, but it was right back into the exact same routine the crowds were incredible. I think it was the second biggest crowd in tournament history combined yeah. crowd for the, the three days and that's 65 grand. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, that was great, you know, and, and from a local standpoint, you know, a local team won both of the tournaments again. So that's what, you know, selfishly we want around here. So, I mean, it couldn't have been better, you know, and, um, Michael McCleary, our other sports writer was there covering USD And, you know, Mike's from New York originally, he's 23 years old, he went to Syracuse University, so I kind of wondered, you know, how impressed he would be by the whole thing, or if he would kind of be like, you know, whatever, no big deal, and uh, he said to me as we were walking out last night, he's like, Jesus, that was fun, that was really cool, and uh, I thought that was nice to hear, you know, because for someone who went to a major university like that, or doesn't have a lot of, you know, local familiarity with what it's all about, like I said, I didn't know what his impressions would be, and and he's like, man, you weren't kidding. That was, he's like, that absolutely lived up to what all you guys had said it would be. And, and you know, if it didn't, I, I don't know what more you would want. Because, like I said, the crowds are great. Most of the games were great. You know, the final couple games were full of drama. There were great individual performances. I mean, it was, it's, I, I, I don't say this very often, but I, I woke up this morning and was kind of like, I'm kind of pissed off that it's over. You know, mm. I wish we could let's do that again. You know, I want I want three more days of that. That's. That's how fun it was.
0: That does surprise me that, uh, yeah, you don't say that often. It takes a lot to get you to say that. And uh, it was it was definitely a welcome back sort of feel. And aside from the USD and SDSU men playing for the championship, you couldn't have drawn it up any better for crowds, for anticipation, for the dream, uh, for the attendance. I mean, I think if the Jackson Yotes men played in the final, I don't know what the record was, but this was the second highest uh, four-day total and – then maybe that gets over the top and maybe you get the biggest crowd you've ever had at that thing. If those well, two they played in, in the semifinals, so you wouldn't
1: have had the same crowd but, the other, the yeah, other way. You, you think
0: know? so? If they would have played for it all, there wouldn't
1: have been another thousand or I so. I think it would. Have, I mean, I just think, you know, they had a huge crowd for the semifinal yeah. because it was USD. And yeah, you know, That's either, way, I mean, I'm playing NDSU in the championship, uh, although almost nobody came down from Fargo. I yeah. wasn't expecting a lot, but there was even less than I expected. Right. I mean, I mean, you get, Jacky Oaks in the final in the women's which we knew we were going to get and that that Monday semifinal having SDSU USD in the early game and then NDSU ORU in the in the night game that, that's when when we saw the bracket that's what we all said let's hope it plays out this way both from an attendance mm-hmm. standpoint and just a drama standpoint and there weren't any of the fireworks that we were maybe hoping for in that North Dakota yeah. State or Roberts game yeah um, but it was still fun to see the Bison I don't know how many Jacks fans would admit it, but I think a lot of Jacks fans were rooting for the Bison in that game to take it to Oral Roberts and give Paul Mills a shit sandwich to eat. And that's exactly what they did. And so, yeah, I, I just think, you know, it was, it was awesome. And um, I was hoping North Dakota state would be the team to advance to the championship just based on, you know, I keep saying it over and over and writing it over and over that rivalry is, is underrated. You know, people make such a big deal, out of the football rivalry between those two schools. And I think from basketball, it, it's the USD rivalry that we make a big deal out of as, as we should. That's a good rivalry too. Just like the USD SDSU football rivalry is good, but the rivalry in men's basketball between the Jackson Bison is a lot better than I think some people realize every single time they play. That's what the game is like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you throw in the fact that, you know, Eric Henderson used to be on Dave Richmond's staff. They recruit a lot of the same players. They play, at times, not necessarily this year, but at times they play similar styles of basketball. Um, I just, you know, Jacks being 20 and 0 and all coming into the game, there was no part of me that was like, hey, you know, the Jacks played so well against USD. Maybe they're going to route the Bison. Maybe there's going to be no drama and they're going to cruise. No. I fully <laughs> expected the game to go right down to the wire, you know, potentially to the very last possession. And even though the Jacks ended up winning, I think, by six it really did come down to the last possession. I mean, they, you know, yeah. one point game with under a minute to go. And uh, that's what, you know, that's what you want. And, you know, I'm, I'm detached as a member of the media, but I, this is one of the first time, not the first time, but one of the first times or few times in my almost 20 years sports writing career that in the last minute of the game, I found myself, you know, sitting on the sidelines with butterflies, you know, getting nervous as I'm watching the game and, It doesn't happen very often, but that's, you know, when you think of everything that was at stake here and just how good that rivalry is and how good both teams are and how many great players are on both sides and and just having no idea what's going to happen. You know, a lot of times you think, well, this could happen, but this is probably what's going to happen. This was an instance where you had no idea and it made the end of the game that much more entertaining.
0: Yeah, I was uh, driving, I got to see the USD-SDSU men's game the night before, which we'll get into that, just how <laughs> just how uh, barn-burning, I guess, show-stopping of a performance that was for the Jacks men. It doesn't get much better. For a half of basketball performance than that, that was the Globe Trotters. That, that was ridiculous, and yeah. that, and I was uh, went as a fan. Uh, went with Gilbert. We sat second row from the top and the nosebleeds. And after so and after so many years of you know getting right in those one of those first two rows as a as a media dork, I um, I gotta tell you, it's look anywhere in that arena is cool. There's not necessarily a bad seat in the house. It's only it's only quote unquote twelve thousand. But it's not the same way up there. I mean, when you're right there on the floor, you can really feel the noise. Anywhere in that first bowl, you can just really feel how electric it is. Uh, you can't quite feel that up top, and you really can't feel that if the game's just a blowout from the start. But uh, it was it, it was the same old feeling for the women's championship. And then I was driving from my son's game in Chamberlain out west to Rapid City, so I was listening to Tyler Merriam on the WNAX Boomstick uh, most of the way. And I was the same way that I was driving. It reminded me of uh, being a Husker fan driving all over the place, listening to Kent Pavelka, who's 70 years old and still calling Husker games. He's been literally their guy my whole life. And just the same thing you were, as you were in person, on the edge of my seat and feeling like I was there. Um, you know, Tyler does an awesome job of making you feel like you're right there. And he kept mentioning uh, that it, the previous eight games between the Jacks and the Bison. Had been decided by a total of 28 points in eight games. You know, that's a that's a three-point. What is that? About three, four-point average. So, uh, with the official final being a six-point margin, that was actually uh, more of a margin than the average of the last eight or nine games. But it was very much just sounded like a heavyweight fight, and uh, I can't I can't do Tyler enough justice how good he is at, at that uh, just and I'm just saying this because this was my lens through the the game last night I had to listen to it on the radio while driving and uh, uh, great games make make for great calls none of us that do this can you can't put lipstick on a pig if you have a bad game and a blowout it's probably not going to be your best broadcast but when you have games like that uh, usually an announcer is going to rise to the occasion and it just so it just felt huge. Booming through the radio as I was driving, and uh, you know it just felt like yeah they were trading baskets, they were trading plays. And every time you thought the Jacks were gonna pull away, the the Bison offered a counter punch. And uh, but in the end, Zim, I mean, what made the difference? It just seems like there's uh, there's just too many weapons for SDSU. Just one or two more weapons. Take your pick, your poison with Shireman and Mayo and charlie easily with some huge plays
1: and threes and uh it's just a little too much i think, i think so we were talking before the game started uh some of us media guys in the in the lunchroom we were talking with john thayer usd's radio guy who was just sort of marveling at how well the jacks had played against the coyotes and saying essentially you know you can't beat them when they play that well at least not another mid-major team can't beat them and and i remember saying to john yeah you know they're not unbeatable necessarily, but they're certainly sort of slump proof. You know, there's just too many weapons. You know, if, if one guy has an off night and Baylor Shireman had an off night, you know, he had his worst shooting game of the year, maybe um, there's just, just so many other guys. I mean, Charlie easily stepped up and hit how many big shots in addition to what he does on defense and, you know, Doug Wilson, there was a point in the game. They didn't even attempt a three for almost the first eight or nine minutes of the second half. Because you could tell they're like, "Hey, we're, we're not feeling it from outside," but Doug Wilsons are a lot. They just kept feeding it to Doug and feeding it to Doug, and and it was working. And and that's you know, the Bison's front line six ten, six eleven, and mm. Doug six six, and he was consistently scoring against those guys. And so yeah, it's it's the weapons they have on offense, and 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 just their execution and all that stuff. But I think honestly, you know, the crowd made a big difference too. Sure, I mean, we you know talked so much in the early years of the Summer League tournament about how you know, maybe this isn't really fair. These are supposed to be neutral crowds, and obviously they're not neutral crowds. And, you know, even the, the game against USD, where you would think maybe there would be something close to a 50-50 split, it was more like 80-20, mm-hmm. you know, and and then you get the Bison, and it's more like 95-5. Um, but, you know, the last few years, the Jacks, and we've talked about this at length, I've written about it, for whatever reason, the men in the last few years have failed to take advantage of that. They've failed to use that. If anything, it has hurt them. You know, you, They've clearly wilted under the pressure or, or whatever you want to say. For maybe the first five or six minutes of the first-round game against Omaha, it kind of looked like they were doing that again. But they got over that pretty quick, and then for the rest of the tournament, they fed off that crowd and used it to their advantage exactly the way you would want them to, exactly the way the women have always done. And when you get a, a game like you have against North Dakota State, two very evenly matched teams where the ref, refs are largely swallowing their whistles, letting them play. And it's just one of those heavyweight bouts. How many points is a crowd like that worth? You know, maybe just two or three. Well, that's basically what decided the game. Cause like you said, yeah, it ended a six point deficit, but that was just because of some free throws to ice it. I mean, this was a one point game going into the you know last 30 seconds or 40 seconds, whatever it was. So I think the crowd made a huge difference and Give the Jacks credit, too. I'm not just saying, like, oh, it was unfair. They had this advantage. But for having a roster or, you know, whether you want to give Eric Henderson the credit, these guys figured out how to do it. They figured out how to play to that pressure rather than, like, oh, my God, everyone's expecting us to win. There's so much pressure on us and squeezing the ball tighter and not playing well. They played with swagger. They played with confidence. They had fun. And that was why they rolled USD, and that was why they found a way to hold off an NDSU team that – I just can't stress enough how impressive it is and how hard it is to beat an evenly matched, well-coached team like that three times in one year. I said to Hendo in the post-game press conference, I said, with no disrespect to you guys, I'm sure Dave Richmond or Paul Mills or even Todd Lee went into this tournament thinking, Hey, you give us a third shot at these guys, eventually we're going to beat you. So for them to do it three times in a row, that's just that's just really really hard to do, and that that was essentially the theme of my column I wrote last night. Is you know twenty one and zero running the table, all those things. We've been talking about it for months, but now that it's over, you really have to take a step back and give them credit for for just what an accomplishment that is. Yeah,
0: and I can get into some reasons why beyond the uh, these go beyond stats and aspects uh, per, and performances because you mentioned the crowd. I've got one other thing that I'll mention in a moment. But back to the crowd. I mean, you look at this event, and North Dakota State never brings a, a, as many fans. It feels like as I think they should or it would expect them to, considering how fervent they are for football. But but when it is North Dakota State and not. Uh, SDSU or even USD in in a Summit League men's game because their women haven't been very good in the 10 years that this thing has been in Sioux Falls. Uh, it still is, there's still going to be you know 4,000 NDSU fans, and if they're playing a team not from South Dakota, they're going to have somewhat of a home court advantage. And since Oakland and Greg Campy and those monster teams, uh, the first couple that came here in Sioux Falls, 10 and 11 winning the titles in the arena, since then, only one time, only one team. Uh, there have been 11 Summit League tournaments, only one team outside of NDSU or SDSU, in The men have won this thing, and it was Oral Roberts last year, and uh, that was when there were no fans. That was when there was no home court advantage, um, uh, you know, for the the bison nor the jacks to feed off of. I don't think that's any mistake. And th- there are other tournaments, you know, in K- the Big 12s in Kansas City, then you're going to get the Jayhawks are going to have the home court advantage, and I'm sure it's just as electric for those games as it is for SDSU in the Summit League, but it's it is special. I'm glad Michael McCleary felt that way about it, and um, it was super cool to have back, and I, I, I honestly don't know. You go to a lot of conference tournaments besides, for example, the Big 12s in Kansas City. If you ever get that that electric of an atmosphere, I mean, I just, uh, the, you know, the NCAA tournament, wherever the Jacks go, we'll get to that it's probably gonna be a half full arena you've covered some of these things uh, it's there's nothing like being on that big stage of the NCAA tournament you're on you're in a bracket people are talking about you uh, you're hoping to be one of those great Cinderella upset teams but still you're probably playing in a half full arena somewhere in the country that's that's cl- kind of neutral and uh, it's it's not going to be the same type of thing as it is for the summit uh, semifinals or finals. So uh, that was uh, man. It was it was just so fun to have all that back, and so the other the other kind of cheesy, but I think for real X Factor, and and you would speak a lot more easily to this than me, since you're you're the team's beat writer. You're with them, the the post game show. uh uh, tyler interviewed every single player and i'm talking every single player you know one or two
1: two or three questions i'm talking to the one guy who redshirted and i kind of thought man is he talking to everybody yeah and
0: (laughs) and every question was pretty much uh i mean some questions were germane to the specific player but you know almost every time was how does this feel and what does this mean to you which of course why what else would you ask in that moment but they all consistently said without tyler prompting uh, this component of how much they, I, I've never heard a group of men say how much they love each other more. A person, a guy after guy, who did not hear the guy before them, they kept saying that. Hendo said it as well. I'm sure they, who I'm sure they said it in the press conference as well. But it, but it feels for real. If you want to try to find how this team was able to break through the uh, the barrier that. SDSU's had the you know in the two what the two prior or three prior Summit League tournaments that were in the Denny in front of those Jacks fans and they couldn't take advantage of it. In fact, they wilted under the pressure of performing in front of their own home fans. Uh, it kind of feels like whatever team bond these guys had uh, feels like it is for real. They're selfless and they just feed off of each other. And uh, anybody could have the big night. Doug was the tournament MVP, uh, which was awesome in his first. Uh, S- Pre- tournament at the Premier Center, but um, as as cliche and corny as that is, and as easy as it is for people to say that, I love these guys. We're you know, oh, we're so good because we love each other. It's that's easy to say when you win and you go thirty and four. Winning can breed that, but it it, it feels pretty genuine. Do you think that's a big part of it? How much they trust and play well together to be able to perform that way down the stretch?
1: Yeah, I definitely do because it's clear that there aren't any guys on this team as it's constructed right now, who are me guys, you know? I mean, I multiple times when I talked about why Baylor Shireman's the best player in the league, you know, I'd say, okay, this guy's leading the league in rebounds and assists, which is amazing, but don't think for a minute he couldn't lead the league in scoring, too, if he wanted to. Um, But he's not that guy. He's not that guy who's like, I need to get my shots every game. Uh, You know, Doug Wilson, we've seen he can be electric. Uh, But there were games this year when the three point shots were falling that he was an afterthought, you know, and got five or six shots. Uh, And, you know, there's all these other guys. I mean, you know, Alex Arians has been, (coughs) excuse me the best player on that team at times over the last few years. Um, this year, he had a largely secondary role uh, as a supporting I mean, he started, but, I mean, he was rarely one of the guys that was being asked to do the heavy lifting. Matt Dentlinger used to be an all-conference starting center. This year, he was essentially their seventh man and averaged, I don't know, five, six points a game, didn't play nearly as much as he used to, but he still uh, is very effective when he does come in and, by all indications, hasn't complained about his role. Um, I mean, you can just kind of go up and down the list with all these guys who are clearly unselfish players. But I think also just, you know, you hear so many cliches over and over again, watching sports and covering sports and reading about sports and listening to guys talk about sports. I felt like early in the year, Hendo was using the word connected an awful lot, more than I had ever really heard a coach use that word. I mean, it's not like it's, completely unfamiliar concept but i just kind of the more he kept saying that word i was like you know other coaches i feel like don't use that word as much as you do why is that i found myself thinking that a lot that clearly he meant more than just you know they're on the same page schematically that you know that they all get the x's and o's and know how to execute a game plan And, and as the year went on he kept saying over and over again the guys are connected the guys are connected it started to become a little more clear that that was sort of an overarching thing that, yeah, that impacted that. He was talking about, you know, executing the offensive game plan. Um, But he was also talking about, you know, understanding what to do defensively. And he was also talking about understanding, you know, just upholding the culture of the team, whatever that is, and getting along with each other and understanding that there is a greater goal out there and, you know, not worrying about the pressure of, you know, obviously they didn't set out to go 21 and oh when the season started, but once the winning streak, you know, became something and we start talking about it again, it was that connectedness that I think got them through it. And I even thought it was funny towards the end of the year. I started hearing members of the women's basketball team start using that word. They started saying, well, we're playing really connected. And I kind of thought, is that did they pick that up from Hendo you know did they watch one of his press conferences and hear that or or did AJ adopt and maybe it has nothing to do with it but it just was was funny to me how all of a sudden I started hearing that in the women's press conferences too and and I just think that word is what is what sums up their team and how they got to where they are is they're just really connected on and off the court and that's how you do something like what they did I guess
0: yeah, those those two words connected in culture is just it's you know I think guys like you and me get a little
1: eye roll about that because they all they, they all say it now. That's the well, new car- culture the especially. New and it's yeah. it's, it, it's funny you brought that up because um when I was doing that story on Chad Garrow a couple weeks ago after he passed away, I was talking to Mike Zur, their offensive coordinator and uh he dropped a line when I was talking to him that I instantly was like, that's one of the best quotes I've ever heard. And I was like, I'm going to remember that where he was talking about how people throw on, throw around these buzzwords kind of cheekily, you know, culture and all whatever. And he he said, very matter of factly, he goes, culture is just the guy who's in charge. Mm. And I thought, man, that's such a good quote. And Mm. he, what he was saying is the culture of Brandon Valley football is Chad Garrell, And I think you can, I don't know if I'd necessarily say at SDSU, the culture of SDSU is Eric Henderson necessarily. But when you talk about connectivity and then use another word like like culture like what's the culture of SDSU that's the culture of SDSU connectivity and that I think stems from from Eric Henderson that's the culture he's created so if you buy into what Mike said that culture is just the guy who's in charge and I absolutely agree with that that's what it comes down to he's got a program where it's like that's what the theme is here guys being connected guys playing together and you know it. it's funny too because you and I have devoted a lot of time to making fun of college basketball coaches because they are sometimes the easiest people in the world to make fun of oh, yeah. because they take themselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. And when you get them on social media, all it is is just this constant teamwork and play defense and unselfish. And, you know, Mick, Mick Gary used to joke that if you didn't know any better, uh, you'd think a basketball coach on Twitter would hate his leading score just because all <laughs> he does is it's talk so about true. defense and passing and everything else. You know. um, but I think taking charges. Yeah, exactly. Ah, Exactly. Charge board. There's a charge board in the
0: locker room. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I I think that's another thing that I like about, about Eric Henderson. It's not just him. There's other coaches that that can say the same thing, but he's able to establish that culture without resorting to all those painful cliches and, you know, becoming this caricature of a, you know, overly self-serious basketball coach. Um, He's got those guys to buy into that cliched, you know, team concept without having to throw out all these cliched words and phrases. And, you know, he's just got him to do it. And I I, I don't think you can give him too much credit for what he did this year, especially when you consider, you know, oh, by the way, one of the best players in the league who scored 36 points in his last summer League tournament game ended up not even playing the entire year because Hendo decided to bench him. And that worked out. I mean, I know there's differing opinions on, whether or not he handled that the right way, but you can't argue with the results. They're sitting here at 30 and four going 21 and zero in the league and having to beat three of the teams in the league three times. I, I, I just, I just, you know, he absolutely deserved coach of the year and, you know, not to get the card ahead of the horse, but <laughs> would anyone be surprised if his name is getting thrown around, you know, for, for other jobs after the season's over? I oh, mean, no. the job he's done this year is getting national attention and deservedly. So well, yeah. 30
0: and four, 21 and zero, going through the league, and if anybody does a a little homework on it beyond that he's again you you think this is less important than i do and results are the most important thing but when you're reasonably photogenic and you don't have to be a joke teller and a comedian like Tim Miles or Craig Smith, but if you, you know, you youth, being youthful and looking youthful and acting youthful helps. He's also very genuine. As we've said, he's, he's not, a, he's not a comedian like those guys. He's just a good dude. Uh, he's got the personality that, that there's going to be some athletic director out there. That's probably going to fall for him. I don't know if he's going to, uh, get offered or take another job, but I I think he'll, I think he'll be garnering some interest. I, if TJ did after three years and what he accomplished, I, I doubt after this inc- remarkable year that that higher levels won't take notice. And I almost tweeted that within seconds after the game was over. And I a I was driving. That's a bad idea. Don't tweet and drive. And B, uh, let the moment breathe. We'll, and we'll probably get into it on the podcast, which we are. But you mentioned Friedel. I want to go to that as well because uh, when they were just steamrolling USD, who, by the way, on Sunday night – was gangbusters. I mean, the Coyotes looked marvelous in their game against Kansas City the night before. That was a terrific performance, and so you thought, yeah, they they don't have the days rest that the Jacks did, but boy, they got some momentum. They're looking and good, and uh, that was just a total smothering from the start. And so during that first half, when you get okay, this isn't a game anymore. Uh, now what's on my mind? So I uh, sent out a tweet. Uh, to Jacks fans and Summit League pundits, are the Jacks better, or worse, or about the same as if they would be if Friedel were playing the last couple of months? Now, first of all, I don't know how. I can't imagine how you can be better. You can't be better than 21-0 and undefeated since uh, you know he was no longer a, really a part of the playing aspect of the team. Um, but again, better, or worse, or about the same. 41% said uh, the Jacks are better. Without him in the equation at all, 38% said about the same. Only 21% said, "Yeah, they're worse." They'd be even. They'd somehow be even better uh, if a guy who was averaging what, somewhere between 15 and 20 points a game, was uh, a key component. So I, I don't want to pile on the kid. I'm just talking very pragmatically, uh, almost robotically about this uh, because that's how many other teams are able to absorb that kind of loss and if not be better to the point where you wonder if it was addition by subtraction, if that was that subtraction, a, a reason, if not a major reason why we get the result that we did.
1: What do you think? You cut out for a second there. I'm sorry. Can you repeat just the tail end of it? If, if Noah Freidel's
0: subtraction was addition by subtraction, it was a reason or a big reason why they, they, they were not only this good, but also you hear all the stuff about how connected they were and if maybe they were even more connected because he wasn't contributing. And, again, all respect to the Friedel family, we're just talking uh, – we're, you know, we're being adults here having an adult conversation. It's possible. I mean,
1: you know, if, 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 it, if they felt like whatever Noah uh, had done or was doing that led to him being taken essentially out, out of the rotation – was something that was negatively contributing to the team. Um, But I think it's really worth noting that, you know, Noah was very much a part of the celebration last night. He was not in any way ostracized. You know, the players were hugging him. He was hugging them. He was clearly very happy to celebrate that championship. You know how you can usually sometimes look at a guy and tell that he's faking being happy because he knows he's supposed to because Mm. people are looking at him, you know? He wasn't doing that. You know, and, and, I, and I really say that. I, I think he genuinely was really happy and and recognizing that, okay, yeah, I didn't really play a big role in this, uh, but those are his friends. Those are his teammates. And he seemed really excited to be going to the summer League tournament. And he did not, you know, like kind of, not that he would powder, but he just, you know, didn't hesitate from taking pictures and cutting down the piece of the net and, you know, being a part of it with the guys. And, and it was reciprocal. So I definitely think, He's still a big part of that group. Um, Those guys still care about him. He still cares about them. I don't think he's going to be a jackrabbit anymore after this year. Um, How would they have been had he been there? It's really hard to say. I mean, you could make an argument certainly that, well, oh, my God, they'd be even better. You know, it's like a team that already leads the league and in, in run score, goes out and signs a DH that hits 40 homers a game, you know, or 40 homers a year, you know, something like that. Yeah. Sure, more the merrier, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's also possible that, you know, that would have created some problems just because, you know, even if Noah was a great kid and, and did everything right, this, you know, only not enough balls to go around, or how would mm-hmm. that affect the playing time of other guys? We don't know. Um so so I honestly don't really want to speculate on that. I mean it's it's interesting. you mentioned that Tyler talked to everyone in the game on the radio after the game. Did he talk to Noah too? If he did, I missed it. I, yeah, and, I would and, guess and, I would guess he probably didn't and so.
0: he didn't get a chance to chat with uh, I you know what Matt? I, I I'm pretty sure I listened to the whole thing I may have dropped out you know before their last segment but uh, I mean I, I heard at least 10 of them and I know anyway, she, 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 yeah, I he, no my I would have re, my point is I would have remembered he didn't yeah
1: probably not he and I um, saw
0: his tweets I mean noah had the tweets that that uh, kind of um, uh, magnified everything you just said. Uh, with with how he was and how he he took in that moment. So and I you know I was partly also just talking purely the basketball sense and you just addressed that as well. That um, are things are just a little more fragmented if Noah's not having a good night, uh, if Noah's missing his first few shots, but he has to keep shooting so he can get into the rhythm. And so, you know, how does that affect everybody else and how the things flow? I mean, uh, it could just be that they just be this damn good. No matter what, because Hendo's that good of a coach, and you know they can win any which way. I, I don't know, so. but I, I thought it was worth bringing up because it's kind of amazing. I, I mean, how many teams can not only uh, win their league and win their league tournament, losing what it was he is, it their second leading score, their leading score? Uh, at the time he was removed from the lineup, he was the leading scorer, I believe. <laughs> and still, not just win the league, but run the table. Uh, and and so that, that's where we lead into, this is the best record U- SDSU basketball I believe has ever had. Uh, I, I know this is not the furthest they've gone in accomplishing things. Obviously, uh, if they win one NCAA tournament game, that will be the furthest they've gone in Division I. Uh, they have reached the championship game. Uh, twice and won it in 1963. That was it. They've had one national title before many of anybody who's listening to this was born. And the last time they've reached a championship game, D2 was 85, and they've been to the Final Four a couple, uh, one other time. Uh, and then, uh, like, eight Elite Eights, several, many, many Divi- uh, Sweet 16s in Division 2. So let's just go Division I era, and certainly in the time that you've covered it, uh, this is their best record. Uh so first time they've won 30 games. Is this is this their best? Is this their best team? Is this better than any of those teams with Walters and Dom that won Summit League titles?
1: I mean it's hard to say no. You know, you mentioned the record. I mean 30 wins is 30 wins. 21 and 0 in conference play and like I said it's not just I mean 21 and 0 is amazing, but having to beat as many good teams as they did multiple times. I mean Summit league was pretty good this year. This is a good a good year for the league in men's basketball. You know, we've talked a lot in the last few years about how there have been some down years where the whole league stunk. I mean, this year between NDSU and an Oral Roberts team that still had a lot of guys back from a Sweet Sixteen run, a USD team that played real well, Kansas City has really become a nice program. Um, this was a good league this year, and the Jacks went twenty one and zero. And then you just talk about the statistics, you know, the, what I would assume is a national re- going to be a national record for highest three point field goal percentage by a team in a season. Um, you know, Doug Wilson's electricity, Baylor Shireman's, you know, nightly triple double flirtations. Uh, and, and, you know, you talk about the depth. Um, the Jacks had some great teams and Mike Dom was a special player. Um, Nate Walters was a special player and, and, Honestly, those teams – Scott Nagy's last team that almost beat Maryland in the NCAA tournament, Dom was a freshman that year, and you had two guards in George Marshall and Jake Biddle. uh, I mean, Jake Biddle was a good player on that team too, but uh, George Marshall and DeAndre Parks. I mean, I don't think the Jacks have ever had two guards like that. I mean, people maybe forget just how freaking good those two guys were. That team was really something, and they really, really came close to beating Maryland – And that was a Maryland team that going into that season was like a final four candidate. You know, they were a five seed, but a lot of people thought when the year started, they'd be a one seed. That Jack's team was really good. And some of the other teams under Dom Walters, and even some of the division two teams, I'm sure because division two back then was really goddamn good. So I know I'm stalling here and and kind of rambling and not answering your question, but yeah, I think they are. I mean, I, I just think they you have to give them that, especially given that, they've already accomplished what it, as much as anyone else has, even if they lose their first round game. Well, that's the same thing those other teams did that we talked about. So I think that speaks for itself. And every year they've been in the tournament, even the year they were a 16 seed playing Gonzaga. I always felt like they had a chance to win a game that they go into the tournament saying like, Hey, this is a team you don't really want to play. You don't really want to see South Dakota state on your bracket that you have to play them. But I think this year more than any, you really have to like their chances of potentially winning a game. And, and who knows after what Oral Roberts did last year, you know, maybe winning two games, who knows? I mean, it's, they've got some really special players and some really special ability and what they're doing right now is just, is just, you know, you don't really want to put a ceiling on them.
0: How dare you meander and jog through a stream of consciousness (laughs) I, you yeah, know, for, for as you so, as learn as, that from. as so, yeah, I know. As someone who's always to the point and has a and has a deft economy of words, I, I, I ask you to be better than that. Um, th- no, that was a good synopsis. I would, for 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 me, just being a casual guy who only watches a f- you know a few games a year before you, Well, in some years more than a few. Until you get to this big event where you always put more weight on how teams perform in these big events. It seems to me like the best team. It's it's amazing to say that when you've had Walters and Dom and look, Shireman may just be in the end as amazing as those two um, if he stays. And uh, we could talk about that next week. But um, yeah, uh, it's it yeah it's hard to beat the result and the way it looks as well. It's just uh, we all know it's offensively explosive and beautiful basketball, and they can defend when they have to as well. Um, By the way, just as you were talking and jogging through your stream of consciousness, literally, I'm not making this up, as we tape, uh, I put that Twitter question up uh, a couple hours ago about if this was the best SDSU team at the Division I level. Brad Newitt texted me, and uh, while you were talking, to answer your Twitter question, yes, this was the best team they've ever had in D1 because not only were they great offensively, this team, unlike many of their teams under Otzelberger, defended well, too. Ooh. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think TJ would be okay with me, uh, and Brad would be okay with me. Put, Probably. Attaching Brad's name to that, because it's not like TJ's teams were bad at defense. Um, so there you go. And uh, the, the, the Twitter poll question result on that as of uh, now, as we record... Uh, 85% said, yes, this is. So uh, everybody, most people agree with us. 8% said it depends on their NCAA showing. <laughs> yes. Well, I know. mean, I suppose if
1: they go out yeah. and lay an egg, you get their ass kicked, then maybe yeah. you, you reevaluate. But, hey, I don't expect that to happen no. Be you know, a loss is a loss. You either win that game finally or you don't. So they're looking like
0: a 12 seed, according to bracketologists. Maybe sneak in as an 11. Depends on what, what kind of craziness happens
1: the next few days in major conference tournaments. Uh, when we get to I saw a s- one bracket that had him as a, thir- had him as a 13. So, okay. I, you know, I guess I don't think a 10 is attainable. I don't think a 14 is on the, on the table. And even 11 might be. A, I'll, I think they'll be a 12. We'll see. And we live in a bubble. But, you know, we we mostly
0: know the Jacks, and uh, I mean, you've got to be a real hoop head to know all the possibilities of teams they might play. One of them might be Alabama. I've seen some mock brackets with, you know, they've already played them in the regular season. That's what I'm saying. I
1: don't don't think they'll pair them against a team they've already played.
0: That'd be the only one anybody really uh, truly knows, again, unless you're a huge hoop head and just watch it every damn night. Um, so, so my point in setting it up with, we live in the SDSU bubble, this does certainly do feel like a team and maybe it'll be interesting to see if there'll be a popular pick of the Billises and, uh, all the guys who, you know, on Sunday night, they pick their brackets and everybody's hinging on their words as they fill out their bracket that this is, uh, this could be one of those 12 or 13 teams that's going to be incredibly dangerous. I don't know how you could not determine that. They've, I mean, what, they've won how many games in a row now? 24, 25, 26? 21. Well, 20. oh, that's they it.
1: started with conference, yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, I, I, they're offensively top five and elite. So, yeah, how could they not be considered uh, a team that I don't think uh, whoever whoever gets they get paired against is probably not going to be thrilled. But, uh,
1: again, we're in a bubble. I don't know. What do you think? Well, the thing they have working against them is they're not a secret. They haven't been for a while, you know, I mean, Nate Walters put him on the map and then Mike Dom took that to another level, even though he never won an uh, an NCAA tournament game. I mean, he was a household name, you know, he was one of the more well-known players in all college basketball and that just made it really hard for the Jacks to sneak up on anybody, you know, you didn't get to the tournament and whether it was the year they were a 16 seed or other years where they were a 12 or 13, it was just like that other team that gets them on the bracket, they're well aware of what they got. You know, they're, they're not sleeping on them. And that's going to happen to them again this year, whether they're an 11, a 12, a 13. You know, that other team that gets them, there's going to be two reactions. It's going to be, first reaction will be, oh, shit. Because no one wants to play that team. I guarantee you that. And second, it's going to be, all right, let's gear up for a battle yeah, here because yeah. I don't care what seed these guys are. They're a great team. So that's the thing they, that that works against them a little bit. They don't have this element of, oh, you know no one takes us seriously, or no one can thinks we can thinks we can win. no everybody thinks you can win, so you're gonna have to just go out there and and outplay them straight up um i that doesn't mean that I don't think they're capable of doing it um I, I obviously this year this team especially it's kind of too bad that they don't get a chance to play a couple more non conference games like later in the season, you know that it's basically split up into two because they're obviously a much better team now than they were in October November. And they had a, a decent non-conference schedule. You know, they beat uh, a, a major conference team. They won at Washington State. Uh, they almost beat Washington U uh, here in Sioux Falls, at that uh, Pentagon Classic or whatever, and um, didn't play bad against Alabama. Didn't really threaten to beat them, but, you know, competed. Had a bad loss against Idaho, a really bad loss. I think if you take that loss off their ledger, um, they probably would have been in good shape for an at-large bid had they not ended up w- ended up winning. Um. So, so I don't know. I, I just think, like I said, the thing that works against them is they don't have this sort of, they're not going to be treated like a, you know, a UMBC or some of these other schools They're, And part of it too is, you know, they're, they're a flagship school, you know, even though they're a mid-major or whatever, you know, South Dakota State just has a little bit more panache to it than, you know, University of Technical Poly, yeah. what's it, you know, some of, these other schools, yeah, I mean, some of these other schools. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's, that's going to be tough for them.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, We'll uh, react to the bracket on our podcast next week uh, before Matt takes off somewhere to the in in the United States. We got about 15 minutes. Let's 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 dive into the ladies and another epic all South Dakota showdown in the championship game and USD coming out on top. They're they're now the queens of the castle. I mean they've won three of these in a row, two of them in the Denny. Uh, the Jackrabbits won either 8 of 10 or 9 of 11 prior to that, and uh, no longer can they harness that Jackrabbit magic and just uh, just went off of that. And uh, it, boy, that title game, 56-45 uh, on, on Tuesday, the losing team shot 25%. That, of course, would be South Dakota State. The winning team shot 38%. That was a... That was a lot of bricklaying that first half, especially. It was 23 22 at the break. I believe the the, the Jacks were, uh, it was eight of 27 and nine of 27 from the field. Was that good defense or uh, bad offense or a little of both? Uh,
1: I mean, obviously, the cheap answer is a little bit of both because that's usually always mostly true. And it was true here. Um, I just thought, and again, I hate to keep making it sound like I'm, I'm down on Chloe Lamb because I'm not. She's a great player. But Hannah Shervin is so fucking good. I mean, she is the best player in the league. She's very good offensively. And then what she does on defense, just her presence. The Jacks couldn't even pass the ball into the lane. And and it wasn't just Hannah. I mean, their wings, their guards, they have all this length. And Chloe Lamb was a part of that. You know, they can't even let them pass the ball inside. Uh, But, you know, Hannah covers so much ground. She's so strong. She's so physical. She's such a shot blocking presence. They just had nothing. The only They were only able to score on three-pointers. You know, they were 8 for 23 on threes. That's not bad. They were 6 of 40 or something on twos. They just couldn't make a basket. And AJ seemed a little ornery in the postgame, you know, because I think he felt like the media was trying to give USD too much credit. I think he kind of felt like, well, hey, we missed a lot of shots too. It wasn't just them. And that's true. I mean, they did miss, miss a lot of bunnies. Maya Sellen went over for 10. And uh I'm sure she's sick today. You could tell she was really as the game went on seemed to be feeling it even more. And, and, I, and I'm sure she felt terrible after the game was over that she didn't play better to give him a chance, but that certainly wasn't her fault uh, or anybody's fault. Um, what it comes down to is I think USD is the better team anyway. Yeah. I just think they're a slightly better team. They are. Then you take Paige Meyer out of the equation. Who's was SDSU second best player this year. Well, page Br- Peyton Burkhardt was really damn good down the stretch too, but one of their top three players, certainly um, now USD's definitely the better team. And, you know, Aaron Johnson in both of the press conferences, the first two games was going out of his way to say how well the gals replacing Paige Meyer were playing. And he wasn't fooling anybody. I mean, I get it. They, it's a different, He's asking different things of them. He wasn't asking them to score because scoring isn't isn't what they do. And he was trying to credit them for, you know, getting the team into the offense and setting up their teammates and not turning the ball over. And, and, and I'm not going to say he was wrong. They won both of those games comfortably. But you get into a game against an evenly matched team like USD, that's not enough. And, you know, in a three-game tournament, the Jacks' two-point guards, I think, scored five points total in the three games, six points, something like that. And in the championship against USD, I mean – it was basically five on four. I mean, the Coyotes just didn't have to guard SDC's point guard. And towards the end of the game, when that had become pretty apparent, they're basically playing without one. Either Tyler Irwin or Maya Sellin was basically playing point guard uh, in the latter st- stages of the fourth quarter. And that's, you know, it wouldn't have been like that if Paige Meyer was there. And, and I'm not trying to make excuses for the Jacks because, like I said, I think USD is a slightly better team. And they were just so good defensively. And those three seniors, you know, pretty obvious they were – on a mission or whatever, to use those cliches. I mean, that, that's why they came back, was to do this. And I, I, what I really wanted to write about after the game, but I didn't because I don't want to step on Michael's toes. He's our USD beat writer, and I'm sure he's going to write about this for his NCAA tournament preview. But what I wanted to write about was how this was sort of a redemption thing for USD because of what happened to them in 2020. You know, I, I don't think we talk enough about what happened to them that year and just how awful that was that they got screwed out of that. I mean, it's not like it didn't happen to every other team in the country too, but just that was a historic year. That was a historic team. They were what, thirty two and two or something yep, and they were uh were probably looking at being like a, at least a five or six seed, maybe a four seed or something. They were like ranked twelfth in the country. I mean that team could have gone to the Sweet Sixteen and maybe further. I mean, who knows? Maybe they wouldn't have, but I mean, they they obviously had a a very real chance to do something. Well, this was the last chance now. You know, last year they get back to the tournament, shit themselves in the first round, played terrible. Okay. That's why they all three came back, because they wanted to, you know, not only atone for not even getting a tournament in 2020, but playing terrible in the tournament last year, they got their chance. And, you know, even as much respect for the Jacks as I have, and as much as I think Aaron Johnson is such a good coach that you know, you could put five 10th grade girls out there, I think, and he'd find a way to compete. He's just that good of a coach. But I still felt like all along, this was USD's tournament to lose and they didn't lose it.
0: Right. And I was going to follow up the remarks that you said he kind of made after the game that of course they didn't perform as well as they would have liked to perhaps page Meyer makes a big enough difference that they win that game. They obviously would have had a much better opportunity to win, it sounds like if she were playing, but I don't think that is to say they would have won the game. You can't, you can't definitively say that. I agree, no. USD is a better team even when Paige is in there, and I know that's what you. I know that's how you feel as well. But to his point, okay, there is a couple couple points in this game where the door was open for SDSU, and uh, where it you know, that one of them was about halfway through the third quarter. It's a close game and both Liv Gable and Kaya Watson are on the bench with three fouls for the rest of the quarter. They get their third foul. They ain't coming back in. And for about two or three minutes of those final five minutes, Hannah Shervin was on the bench as well. And during that time, SDSU did nothing to make anything up. Uh, And also during that time, uh, there was one play right after those two both went on the bench where it looked like not ready for primetime players. A couple of the younger Yotes, Ugofsky and Larkins, commit turnovers – but then they figure it out uh, in the last minute of that third. They're up by like five or seven points. Ugofsky uh, gets herself to the line. And Larkins has the driver to beat the buzzer. So you're, you're, you're talking, you know, three of the final five minutes without Shervin. And then you're without Corn Gable, and Watson, two prolific starters. And SDSU couldn't make up any ground at the end of that third quarter. They went into the fourth down by seven. Then down the stretch in the fourth, there was a series of possessions, again, you mentioned Ce going over 10. That's you know that's an alien type of outlying performance that does play a factor. But um, you, you were mentioning it earlier, how hard of a time they could they, they, they could pass the ball inside because of Hannah Shervin's presence. Well, that's exactly it. They, they lost the ball on the baseline, just losing the ball without USD really affecting it. Um, I won't single out the players who did it, but about two plays in a row when it was about an eight-point game with about three minutes left, and a little bit later, um, it it, it happened again. I mean, they just literally dropped the ball. Uh, Then, uh, about two minutes left in the game, they're only down by six, and on back-to-back possessions, not going to mention the player again, but it was the same player, A.J.'s going berserk. I'm watching him. He's don't foul. It's only a six-point game, and yet they're trying. They're trying to get steals, but they're getting way too close. Um, probably thinking they've got to start, you know, uh, stopping the clock, and uh, they get fouls, and USD gets free throws, and they go on the win. So I, I just kind of think. I guess that maybe speaks to AJ's point that they didn't play their best ball. But I also think when it comes back to. Um, it comes back to bobbling the ball and not being able to handle it near the baseline underneath the basket. Well, that's that has a lot to do with Hannah Shervin's presence, right? That has a lot to do with USD has Hannah Shervin. And I think the Yotes make other teams uncomfortable. And that certainly included the Jacks yesterday, which is why they want it more than the Jacks lost it anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Jacks gave themselves the reason you can sit here and say, geez, the Jacks had so many chances. They did. Um, but they gave themselves those chances because of how well they played defensively too. They played Absolutely. a good defensive game, um, but they just, you know, they needed to be good offensively and they weren't. And then you throw on top of the fact that just how good USD is defensively. And again, um, not having any scoring punch out of, uh, you know, the point guard position and some other, it, it just, you know, Maya Selen needed to play great and she didn't. And and that's partly credit to USD too. Kaya Watson did a great job on her and, and, you know, the others that helped in helped out. USD just played a lot better. I mean, there's – I'm sure you could come up with all sorts of excuses. USD's the better team, and they played better. Yeah. That's why they won.
0: Yeah, since Macy Miller left, uh, USD's been the better program. By a hair, but they're they're better right now uh, three years in a row. So uh, you go to the bracketology, and I just popped it up, uh, so I'm not quite sure – I'm not going to sit here and waste time They're not on it, no. it.
1: They're, they're not. They're not saying they're not going to get an at-large. Earlier they had been in, in the – The women's bracketology had had both teams in the newest updated one today to have the Jacks as one of the last four out.
0: And now I'm looking for, and uh, you know, again, that could change, I guess. I don't know. Are all the women's conference tournaments done? I I would think most of them are. So I, I don't think a lot, or I think most, I mean, yeah, anyway, I'm looking for UCLA because that was a point of contention. If UCLA makes it an SDSU, doesn't, there's going to be hell to pay. UCLA was what? 17 and 11 had a similar net ranking and SDSU won the head to head. Well, just because uh, they beat
1: one tournament team doesn't mean they're getting in.
0: Yeah, that's um, I just that was a tweet I, I, from a Jack fan I saw. And was, I I, I don't know. Up.
1: I I don't think they'll probably get in. Um, not just because they lost this game, but they really didn't play well. Um, who knows? You know, there have been past years where I said, "Yeah, no chance," and then they were one of the last four out. And you know, they've got uh, obviously they've got an established brand you know people know about south dakota state women's basketball they know about south dakota women's basketball so both of those schools in any given year whatever their net ranking is their rpi their record any of those things they're going to get a little bit of extra credit just for being who they are they've they're a proven commodity at this Mm -hmm. point having said that I don't think they're going to get in. We'll see. I don't think it's a done deal just because Charlie cream or whoever doesn't have him on his bracket.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's all you can go by right now. Cream's, uh, has USD as a 10 seed playing Florida, a seven seed right now in Waco where, uh, if the Jacks or the Yotes were to advance. It'd probably be Baylor. The number two seed a lot again, uh, a lot can happen between now and selection Sunday. Although again, I think all the, the play is mostly done for the women and, uh, we shall see. But, yeah, they're going to be, uh, you know, that's awesome. They'll be as high as a, uh, it looks like a 10 seed or a 9 seed, and, uh, which means they'll have an evenly matched opponent, and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Anything else? Anything else we need to cover
1: this week? No, there definitely isn't.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I enjoyed it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll talk again when we know uh, where some of our teams are are literally going dancing. Have fun out in Rapid. I, I always, know I always do. I always do. There's a lot of fun to be had. See ya. Yeah, uh, three words for you if you ever come out to Rapid City. Three words. This is not the whole world. It's not everything. There are a lot of good establishments, fun places to go. Maybe you've been to some, but I got three words for you. Vertex Skybar. Vertex Skybar. They're not a sponsor of the podcast, by the way. <laughs> Ver- I am just some some friendly advice for you game changer when you come to rapid happens every time I come out to the state tournament and I you know meet up with a couple of a couple of colleagues who may have not been there before. Alex Johnson Hotel, Vertex Skybar. It's just an experience. And if I want to add two words to that, vertex Skybar at sunset. View of the hills, fire pits, view of Rapid City, Vertex Skybar. Again, not even a sponsor. It's just uh, my favorite bar in the state. Second favorite bar in the state to the Gateway Lounge, Of course just in case you're listening to Jackson. Uh, we'll talk next week. See ya.
1: Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. Yes.